Jeremy, sure you have a hell of a at some point. hell of a radio voice. It makes me insecure about my own. Oh, this is what the benefit of, of talking into a what uh, into a professional level microphone and the fact that I EQ the shit out of it. That's the kicker. I have a decent radio. Uh, I hate my normal voice. Uh, I have a decent radio voice because I EQ the hell out of it. But my stammer is such that I sp- have to painstakingly cut all of the uh, bad parts out. <laughs> well, Chris is familiar with doing that with my my yeah. stuttering and ums and uhs and. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, I do a lot of that too. <laughs> we all do. Yeah, that's why it takes twenty hours for me to edit my podcast. Yeah. That's true. Um, anyway, so thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us once again, old friends and new. Um, this is going to be a rare experiment, a kind of a crossover pod of sorts with the with some special guests. All right, to start things off, because uh, let's just start at the beginning, because it would be kind of weird to start otherwise. Um, let's just say uh, special guests on the other end of the line. Could you introduce introduce yourself to the viewing audience? Yeah. Well, uh, I'm Chris. <laughs> I'm uh I'm broadcasting from Austin, Texas, and uh, I'm with the Regrettable Century. Is there more what? of a prompt or what? <laughs> I'm trying to think. Of, <laughs> I don't know what say, we're we very go, informal. Yeah, we go around the room. We go, we give our pronouns, and see, <laughs> and for an icebreaker, let's tell. Um, um, how, <laughs> how long have you been into its uh, leftist podcasts? Leftist podcasts? Oh, a few years, really. Um, really started digging into leftist podcasts whenever I quit um, organizing full-time with an organization because I needed some sort of outlet. And, yeah, so I guess that was about four years ago, probably. Yeah. But uh, I uh, that, that was listening to leftist podcasts. As far as, like, being on leftist podcasts, I guess this is my second year. What about you, Jenny? Um, yeah. I'm in Corpus Christi, and, uh... I'm about to like expose myself, but I don't listen to that many leftist podcasts. Uh, that's a smart thing. That's not my shit. I listen to a bunch of trash podcasts. Um, There's a difference about like true crime and horror. Um, I mean, I'm an avid reader and learner, but I don't listen to that many leftist podcasts. But I guess probably about the same amount of time, a couple years. Awesome. Yeah, I'm. I'm really. Uh, I'm Kevin. I'm here in Portland, here in live in the studio. Um, I'm also on regrettable the regrettable, regrettable century. But um, uh, same here. I uh, didn't get into podcast. I'm like with everything. I feel like in the world of te- internet and technology, I am late to the game. Very late to the game. Uh, didn't start getting into them until more recently. And honestly, most of the time, what I'm listening to is um uh just like news and educational stuff like uh i i I regularly listen to the brookings institute podcast um and uh the new york times the daily listen to that every day seriously yeah and uh opb um uh news and politics roundup that sort of stuff just like keep abreast of uh, what's going on in the world and what the mainstream media is talking about. Mm-hmm. That's most of what I'm listening to. OPB stands for Oregon Public Broadcasting, for anyone who doesn't know. Anyway, thank you, Kevin, for joining us. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, making this happen. I really appreciate it. I mean, this is cool. This is fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, who else is with us? Of our, of the- no, no, just the three of us. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it really is just the three of you guys. We <laughs> appreciate having you on. Um, my name is Natasha. I am host of my own podcast, Meta Machina. I want to say that trash podcasts for life because true crime and yeah. horror is my favorite ever. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> In the interest of brevity, I'm Garrett. I've been on the show before. You maybe have heard me. <laughs> and I like uh, all kinds of podcasts. Excellent, and I am your uh, your lovely narrator, your humble narrator, Jeremy. Um, been here for um, I think into Lefty Pod for Christ, I don't know, four years, three, three or four, I don't, three ish years, I guess, and podcast as a medium obsessively for about ten. So being mm-hmm. an early, being a relatively early adopter of an iPhone had something to do with that. Well, that and Adam Carolla going to uh, getting booted off terrestrial radio and going to uh, going to podcasting before he went really crazy and really right wing. Anyway, um, one, I didn't know that. I, I had no idea that Adam Carolla went off went and became a, like a far right winger. Not quite far, because he's not really he's like, not like all ideologically right. he's co- just, coherent enough to like, you know what I mean? Like, he's, but, but he's, he's just viscerally reactionary. He, yeah. He's a gateway drug like Joe Rogan. Ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah, okay. there you go. Perfect. I could see that. Perfect. I could, I could totally see it, though. I, like, it's not... He's, it's not like incompatible with my image of Adam Carolla. I just didn't know that he had actually followed through and was publicly like political about things. Well, it's like every every kind of cranky, well, transgressive slash uh, borderline reactionary or cranky comedian who gets old enough and kind of runs out of material, and then all you're left is the crank. <laughs> then um, yeah. there you go. And now he's actually out on tour with like I think it's like I can't remember if it was like if it's some like Prager fuck or whatever like talking about like an entire like two, I think he's even making like a shitty little like agit prop like right wing documentary about you know triggering college students or something. Folks, this is Jeremy just popping in here. If you like what you're hearing, why not help us uh, make the show? You can support us for as little as a dollar a month donated through our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash giving the mic. Every little bit helps. Thanks. All right. Anyway, uh, thanks for everyone for joining us tonight. I guess the initial topic is... As you guys have mentioned, you guys have been uh, way out there in Texas and beyond land. Yeah, I just want to say that I listened to your guys' episode on uh, Gothic Marxism, and it was exceptional, wonderful. I really did not know there was a connection between Walter Benjamin and Kabbalah, and I got really excited about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was best friends with Gershom Scholem, mm-hmm. who I guess is probably the most famous co- Kabbalist of all time. Yeah. So, like, yeah. Yeah. He's got a, a, a very distinguished Kabbalistic pedigree, but he kind of, you know, bailed on the the major school of Kabbalah and kind of just became a, a spooky Marxist, which yeah. is totally cool with me. <laughs> yeah, Same. that's my shit. <laughs> that's Absolutely. my main shit. I just learned that Kabbalah is sort of a mixture of uh, Jewish sort of uh, um, mysticism mysticism and uh, and a sort of heretical Christian yeah uh, I have a Kabbalah tattoo actually so like oh, I, nice. I, uh, I'm you know city witch over here um, <laughs> but you know I read tarot I've read tarot for 13 years so it's been part of my whole thing but like uh, yeah like the whole history of Kabbalah is really really cool not only just from the the, the 
the fact that like all Abrahamic religions are based on, you know, early Jewish folklore, but also from this perspective of like it was definitely married to you know Christian theosophy and all these weird things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a Gnostic strain in mm-hmm. all of the Abrahamic religions and manifests itself as Kabbalah in Judaism and as like Sufism in Islam mm-hmm. and then Christian Gnosticism, obviously in Christianity. Yeah, but yeah, they're they're all they all have the same basic tenets. They have different um, mythologies, but you know, it's it's in all of them. At its root, yeah, it's the same. You mean the uh, the words change, but the song remains the same? <laughs> sure, it's <laughs> one way to put it's it. Very, yeah. very close to uh, to Buddhism as well in a lot of its uh, oh, absolutely. aspects and Taoism too, which is nice to see. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, going on the occultist train. No, that's fine. It's, it's just the, but I like the because but that's the kicker, isn't it? Is that Marxism from the start was kind of shot through, you know, shot through with the Gothic from, you know, from jump. And you know, the, I think just it was just the place and time of the fact that you know you had a bunch, this kind of flavor of literature and flavor of writing that was pretty popular among certain folks, and so they just figured out, hey, let's do this, and uh, and and um, you know, as my old. <laughs> As uh, soon-to-be Zero Books author Fritjof Bergman, my old philosophy professor, would say, um, never underestimate the power of a good metaphor. Mm. Yeah. Hell yeah. Right, right. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's really like the... That's the main thrust of it. I think... Um, uh, yeah, I think Marxism been, has been far too shot through with... Uh, uh, like a rigidity around materialism, <laughs> where it's... I, I, th- I I think part of it is that there's a lot of th- th- a misunderstanding of Marx's materialism in in its origins, but I think a lot of that misunderstanding arises from the sort of um, the political role that the church has played in states that were, you know, founding themselves on on uh, uh, consciously founding themselves on Marxist principles making it such that the states are like intentionally pitting themselves against the church and then i i think in uh in response to that sort of overemphasizing this schism between religion and uh marxist materialism marxist materialism that uh i i think really miss, misses the the whole point that like the really the point should be to try to get over the the flattening, uh, the the whole divide between idealism and materialism in the first place, and the, and that uh, when when you overweight, put too much weight on one side of that uh, dichotomy, that you're missing the texture of the full picture, um, uh, anyway about it. And so, like, I think a sophisticated idealism is closer to a sophisticated materialism than a crude version of either one is to, uh, you know, its pair. I think that's what Gothic Marxism is really interested in: is trying to uh, get past, uh, or maybe um, maybe not even get past, but f- flesh out the picture of the sort of logical positivism that was really wrapped up in like Lenin's, you know, materialism that that sort of thing. A lot of the foundations of uh, Marxism, the state Marxism that it's existed in the world. That's it. I've never heard this perspective before, um, and I'm sorry I didn't listen to your podcast because I didn't. I didn't know where to start, and uh, uh, now you know. Yeah, well, but that's very interesting, and I and I think that's really cool because, like, one of the things I think of is like I have a my wife is um, a Christian, and and um, I just think that like you could get Christians on board, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's Jesus like, was very socialist, and it's, like, and, and it's like we're not we're not thinking about that, mm-hmm. you know, and I and I it's, it's refreshing to hear. Um, Do you know? Um, 
James Connolly, the uh, Irish Marxist who died in the Easter Rebellion. I've heard that. He was actually executed afterwards. But he was a Catholic, and he wrote extensively on um, Marxism and, you know, Christianity's compatibility. And there's also, uh, what's his name? He's a, He was a Christian author who was a contemporary of Christopher Hitchens. Ah, oh, damn, I'm never going to remember his name now that I need to. American, anyway, American he was a Christian English. author who was a contemporary of Christopher Hitchens, and both of them were members of the Socialist Workers' Party in Great Britain in, uh, you know... Probably the 70s. In, in the 70s, right. But so uh, Christopher Hitchens, of course, becomes uh, a, basically a neocon. Yeah. And um, what's his name? Man, how am I not going to remember this right now? It's not Ben, anyway, is I'm, it? It's not Hobbsbaum, is it? Not Jameson? No. No, no, no. Uh, Wrong. Eagle, Eagleton? Wow, this yeah, is Terry crazy. Eagleton. I've never yeah, heard of this. Yeah. It's Eagleton. Terry okay. Eagleton. It's Terry Eagleton. Sorry, That's uh, who it is. Uh, Jenny, anyway, missed... damn, I can't remember. Uh, I can't believe I couldn't remember his name. Anyway, so Terry Eagleton, you know, a, a good stays a Christian. He, um, you know, stays a Marxist, and he stays an, an incredible asset. He's like a he's a treasure. And, uh, of course, Christopher Hitchens, uh, the good materialist atheist who becomes a right-winger who defends the destruction of Fallujah and uh, calls the <laughs> women and children that were killed uh, in the invasion of Iraq just, you know, casualties uh, yeah, of bringing civilization to the barbaric Muslim world. So, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with the, with the Christian, you know, mm. the, uh, the Same. non-materialist Christian. Uh, over the uh, ultra-materialist Hitchens any day. Oh, sorry. Uh, Jenny, you had something? No, I was just saying it was crazy to to see Chris not be able to remember her name. He's always, <laughs> like, the best at recalling things. Um, I always just, like, stop mid-sentence, um, and I'm like, hey, Chris, what's this person's name that I'm thinking of? And uh, it's kind of like a Wikipedia page, um, IRL. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jenny, you know what, oh, sorry to interrupt. You know what sucks is I actually wrote a uh, after Hitchens died. I wrote like a, a piece about uh, it was sort of a, an obituary, but like a very shit talking obituary where I <laughs> contrasted the careers of Terry Eagleton and Christopher Hitchens, and uh, and now I can't even fucking remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> it really do be like that. It does. <laughs> the yeah. irony. But um, yeah, that's that was the one. I think that that is also, and I was listening to. There's another a local, um, newer leftist podcast. I think it's called uh, Dirty Kami Pinko. Uh, done by where I think the first very first episode was about like leftists and spirituality and religion. And one of the things that um, I think gets missed in the kind of the history of like you know lefty like revolutionary movements, but also atheism is that um, there are a lot of people kind of mistook it as. Um, like why it was there, and they just kind of like, well, it's just you know the atheism part just comes along with it, and it's like no, the the reason why like you had like why all the French revolution, like, you know, all the French revolutionaries were were uh, atheist types because the you know the church was part of the state, right? 
Same, you know, same thing in, in Tsarist Russia. The part, the church is part of the state, and and it was part of the reaction, right? It was it was a part of the, not not only the the it's substantially part of the ideological reaction, like propping up like the no, you know, God ordained the czars and the czar family and right. you know, restore the f- former order, that sort of thing. But also like uh, uh, you know, f- being like materially on the side of the of the reaction against uh, revolution. I, I think that that really is what drives a lot of the the really rote dry materialism is this like you know trying to be on the other side of the church as an institution in society that's fighting for reaction right and and and, and it's really go it's ahead really interesting to contrast that with um you know latin american socialism because you know so much of that is well, the impetus for that is like liberation theology yeah. or like you know, in indigenous communities in like Chiapas, so much of um, those lefty politics are actually driven by people's um, spirituality and understanding of, you know, just like the normal, you know, good ways to treat people and to build community Mm -hmm. and the way we like to see society function. So it's interesting, you know, to think about that contextually and contrast that to like white people (laughs) like desperate need to like (laughs) divorce um our politics from what we feel um spiritually there's like this like huge divide between the things that we think and we feel and i feel like uh that that hasn't been the case for most people in the global south who are 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 organizing yeah, and I think militant atheism belongs to the reaction now. So, like, Hell if yeah. you're a lefty Without and you're a, a militant atheist, you're 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 on the wrong you're you're drifting towards the wrong team. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Shave your neck already. <laughs> <laughs> Take off the fedora. Yeah. <laughs> Ainsley, Truly, uh, Ainsley McCree had a had a had a point. I I think she might have put it out in. Um, might have put it out in a column by now, but she had a, she was on the Current Affairs podcast back in like mid-November because she was writing a lot of stuff about you know like IDW assholes. And her point was because her her they were talking about why you had a very a very particular cadre, if you could call it a, a, a more of a cohort of like certain kind of like new uh, yeah very much like you know W era. Uh, new atheist types who decided to call themselves like classical liberal, and as you know, after W is out of uh, W is out of office, and the in the, the flavor of mainstream conservatism has changed, then now like a lot of them uh, just are just happily go, you know just going into full on like alt right, and her. Um, I think her her theory what, or her hypothesis had to do with the fact that so many of these people, especially like the um, like the the younger men, like they were first introduced to politics around the W era and like watching a lot of YouTube stuff because this was right around when YouTube was really blowing up and you had like all of these like debunking uh, like big skeptic. Uh, <laughs> Great example of this, Michael Shermer, uh, skeptic community who himself is still a libertarian and just in, did an entire uh, epi- uh, an entire issue of Skeptic Magazine devoted to Jordan Peterson. Figure that one out. Um, it's like all these guys who, and so it's kind of thing. No, they no, they really. I'll, I can show you the cover afterwards. He like back like in November of last year, he did an entire like cover story about Jordan Peterson because he was just in love with it. But the, but the kicker was is that you had all these people who they couldn't call themselves like conservative because. Cons- 
conservative in the W era meant like, you know, Southern evangelical Republicans. And so they needed another term for it. And now that, you know, cons- you know, Republican and conservative. So they call themselves like classical liberal. And um, oh, yeah, that just means libertarian, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I came from that school. So, I mean, I can completely speak for it and you know, getting into left's YouTube a lot and kind of seeing how a lot of people have gone through these kind of redemptive, transformative narratives away from that atheist like YouTube community like that like provided a sense of community for a lot of people in that time period where they felt like okay well i'm socially liberal but i'm fiscally conservative because i have no idea what politics is you know (laughs) seriously i mean i I, i'm one of those people that was a complete piece of shit so um (laughs) but trust me i joined the objectivist society in my college and it was five guys and then i was just gone so um yeah no we all all go through our horrible horrible phases i had an atheist phase too just yeah yeah yeah, okay cool i was about to like speak in defense of militant atheism actually because you know i I was was a reaction yeah i was i was i was raised in the bible belt by an extremely conservative christian family that uh and so like my i had to go through a phase of where I, I went through a phase where I was sort of uh, g- growing beyond and trying to escape mm-hmm. my upbringing and my, uh, you know, everything that I, I was raised around. And these were people who were sitting around uh, expressing the kind of vitriolic rage and hatred yeah. that I felt toward the the upbringing that I had. So true. And so I latched onto it. Fuck yeah. you! I won't do what you told me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, very. Yeah. I mean, I was the same way. Yeah. I was raised in a uh, conservative Protestant family who were like you know going way hard to the uh the protestant and uh and as a rebellion against the catholicism that they were raised in so it, it was uh yeah once i was old enough to um to not have to go to church anymore i became like a militant atheist and then yeah. i chilled out yeah it kind of looped back around to where i'm like oh yeah actually christianity is cool yeah uh, i yeah hey ditto okay can we do a quick poll um uh, i'll start there is a higher power. I'm saying yes. I say sure, but then I I can I still consider myself a uh, a drunken Presbyterian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you answer that first. Oh, that's really hard for me. I'm and I'm a I, I would say that I'm a spiritualist in the sense of like I think that there is something greater, but I don't really want to put a name or face on it. I think it's abstract. Yeah, I that is way more limited of an answer than I could possibly give. I studied philosophy in my undergraduate and so like my answer to that question is i can't give a simple mm-hmm. straightforward answer that's fine to it. that's fine <laughs> but uh i i fall if i i fall on the side of like i think science has the best claim to truth like, i, I think i i agree with that uh but anyway do we need to do we need our guests yeah. no uh chris and jenny how about you guys you if you uh, higher power i don't know or something, um, out, or something out some, there. Something, um, a, I don't know, it, something that could be called like the collective unconscious or the force or <laughs> that works. Know, I believe uh, in the force. An energy that binds us all, whatever. Yeah. The Tao. Yeah, maybe. That's that's kind of more or less what I mean. I mean, not the yeah, f- yeah. That like it's you mean the, the force. Yeah, I does mean, it, I guess I mean does the it, force. Does it, does it have a consciousness that like determines what's going to happen? Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny. It's all a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. 
No, there's not like a lawgiver. No, you know what I, I mean? So. Yeah. Right, right, no, right. Yeah, bearded wizard in the sky kind of thing. Hey, there's. Hey, there's <laughs> no, you know, I wish I mean, there was a bearded wizard. I have a very wizard, non-theistic cool. conception of what might be out there, but not an atheistic conception. You know, mm, right. more of an agnostic almost. What about you, well, Jenny? Yeah. Yeah. So I was raised pretty Catholic um, in South Texas in a Mexican household. And uh, this is, I got to be honest, this isn't something that I think about ever or have <laughs> like thought about in maybe 15 years because it's just not something that impacts the way that I live my life in any significant way. So I don't really spend a lot of time like pondering what else is out there. Maybe that's stupid, but I'm just stressed out and tired from work. So like, it just, <laughs> I, it just like, doesn't like, it's not a thing I think about that being said, I'm still incredibly superstitious because, um, <laughs> Mexican things. So, um, like I still, um, have this like very immediate response to, to like knock on wood constantly. I mm. still, there's, I can mean, I can list all of the things that I do that are very superstitious and that will never leave me because they're just like inherent to me. Like I'll still do the sign of the cross every now and then. So there's like a lot of just like lingering um, superstition that I carry with me and, and does comfort me, whether I consciously think that it does anything significant or not. Um, and with that said, right, it's kind well, of, yeah, I, I mean, that's, I, that's the most, like, I, I don't know. I feel like that's the most, uh, um, ritual is meaningful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it reflects, sure. uh, that's actually the what I majority of people's experience with religion and society. That's actually what I was after when I asked the question. It was more just like, there's some operative part of me that's like, I mean, how do you have optimism? If uh, I don't know, you know, let's not let's not go too, oh, too far go down this. Our podcast is centered around the concept of revolutionary pessimism, actually. Yeah, so cool. Is. Can we hang out? I was gonna say, yeah. Can, uh, can you give Can you give the viewing audience a brief explainer, or you know, can you pitch the concept to the uh, to the Dragon's Den, if you would? I'm gonna revolutionary let pessimism and Kevin take this, and I'm gonna hop off this. This this call because uh, I was here for a good time but not a long time. <laughs> and, uh, Thanks for showing up. I gotta up, go deal with my yeah, wisdom. Get some sleep and so, uh, oh, recover. Shower, dope as hell. Yeah, I'm good luck with competition. Myself. I've always been kind of a DIY bitch, so uh, y'all have fun. Thanks, Jenny. Keep it, Thanks keep for it being real. here. And, you know, like Thanks, up as well when you talk about revolutionary pessimism. I'm I'm trusting y'all. So good night, I might, friends. I might. I'll let you down. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, th yeah. Thanks. All right. Thanks goodbye, y'all. You know, thanks for joining Bye. us. Bye. Yeah. Good night. Bye. Come on. Who's gonna go? Take it, Jen. Where's the? Okay. So back. So back to the subject. If if one of you could explain or explain revolutionary pessimism, I can't even pronounce it right. Pessimism. Pessimism. Revolutionary pessimism. Revolutionary pessimism. Number of things. Um, it's first and foremost, though, sort of an orientation that we have chosen to take on as a corrective of what we have seen in the past as a uh, blind optimism and a sort of faith in a um, linear faith in unfounded faith in linear progress uh, that the left is very much guilty of so a, a revolutionary pessimist view would be one that attempts to take a 
very hard and doubtful look at everything that we do, at all the goals that we try to accomplish uh, in order to sort of preserve our energy and, you know, guard ourselves against the the inevitable heartbreak that comes from the constant failure and the uh, <laughs> the innumerable defeats that we suffer as a left. And I think that the reason this this notion is so attractive, specifically to Kevin, Jason, and I, uh, Jenny's a little bit less pessimistic than the three of us. Yeah. It's just because of our involvement in uh, hyperactive, voluntarist, Trotskyist organizations in the past, you know? Yeah. Um, and and I, I really think that it is a necessary corrective. Um, it sort of just helps us take off the rose-colored glasses and soberly assess our prospects. Um, but we are still revolutionaries. We definitely believe in uh, the necessity for overthrowing capitalism and establishing something like establishing socialism, but we're just a little bit a little bit more pessimistic as to um, the the, cur- the the main currents of the left and whether or not they have what it takes to be able to carry through the carry this through. And and it's uh, you know uh, corrective for the the sort of triumphalism of especially the tradition yes. that we come from, but. But it's also, you know, it's also a pessimism for uh, a, a pessimistic outlook for a pessimistic world or mm-hmm. a pessimistic future, yeah. right? A future that we're we're, we're looking at. Uh, science is telling us that we have twelve years to utter completely turn the economy on its head, which is not going to happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Otherwise, we're going yeah. to have uh, catastrophic climate change that uh, will uh, will have unknown consequences, but we know they will be dire. And even if that doesn't happen, we are in the middle of not looking down the barrel of not going to happen, not could happen. We are in the middle of a, of the sixth mass extinction event right. that's current yeah. occurring right now. That's that's realism. Horrifying. What is what's Gibson's line? Uh, the future is already here. It is just it's what is it? Its effects are just distributed unequally. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah. Right. Also, and, there's there is the like, the. the, the the dominant narrative, uh, the dominant political narrative in in the United States, um, be it, you know, the liberals or the conservatives, is that things are better now than they ever have been, <laughs> and you know the the arc of history tends toward progress. So you know, d- as long as we keep switching out little little pieces of the uh, of the puzzle here and there, we'll eventually get to where we're going, and we think that. Those people are going to kill us all and destroy the whole no, world. No, that's true. Yeah, that's the, true. The myth of progress has been such a huge thing to overcome in terms mm-hmm. of like understanding history. That's why we have such a blind spot when it comes to the fact that you know we're back where we were a hundred times before in terms of the way that we deal with people and um, you know history of racism, colonialism, and imperialism that we continue to have to face and fight every day. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and to I, steal a, a line from our our favorite journal, like Salvage, like yeah, you know, we are interested in building a salvage project where we pick up the from the detritus of uh, whatever's left after the the ecological and civilizational collapse, and maybe building a Marxism and a that will carry us through to whatever sort of future we have left. Well, do you think that the 
because I, I am definitely pessimistic, like y'all are describing, without a doubt, and have been, and have ha, you know been in groups of friends, and been like the person you know espousing beliefs similar to, or, or ideas similar to what you're 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 saying, and just you know have everything everyone just you know want to die, uh, but <laughs> but uh, I mean, is it that is it that this the suffering that's coming down the pike? For, for, for not yeah not just the the vast bulk of humanity but also the the natural world outside of humanity is it just so horrifying to us that that is that's why that positive you know that sort of like i mean it's a reactionary positivism right mm -hmm. like like is that why that pops up do you have any notions about that well, I mean, I think uh, there's definitely a, an aspect of the ruling ideology of, of the world is one that says that everything is right and good and the way it should be and the way it must be. This, yeah, this is the best of all worlds. Yeah. Voltaire, oh my God. Yeah, yeah exactly. Jesus. Uh, and, you know, and whatever negative things you may be experiencing, it's, well, yeah, at least not worse than this, you know. You could be standing yeah. in bread lines. Uh, but... Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose uh, an aspect of uh, dominant ideology is uh, an, a sort of optimism. I, I, I don't know if I would even call it that. No, though. I'm, I, talking, I think be... I'm talking about a different phenomenon. I'm talking about coming up against the horror of what I was just describing and what, what y'all are rightfully pessimistic about. And not being able to help just sort of short-circuiting in such a way that it it, it reflects a, I, I need to believe in something you know what i mean and and that ref yeah and that and that is manifest as a sort of positive uh because i mean there there literally are i mean we're all aware of this there are literally people that are like i i wake up and i just i'm positive right i i look <laughs> at the mirror and i go i'm positive today and like that's madness i mean that is really like like you know what i mean like and that's the sort of extreme end of what i'm talking about but yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a sort yeah. Of, it's like you got to keep that PMA, you know, positive, <laughs> positive mental minute, attitude. Minute, yeah. attitude. Well, I, I think that there there is uh, there is such a thing as taking the pessimism too far. I think that a totalizing nihilism. Uh, it, the only possible... That's my podcast. <laughs> I think the yeah. only possible political expression of a totalizing nihilism, a true cynicism, is fascism. It is fascism. Yeah, In exactly. a nutshell, right. for sure. Exactly, and so I, I think there is a limit. We try to how not far to beat take. that. Yeah, yeah we, we try. <laughs> we try to avoid fascism as our. I mean, we like fascism. the we like the romanticism and we like the pessimism, but we don't want the fascism. Well, yeah. I like what you guys said about co-opting this sort of spirituality and romanticism from the from fascism because I think a lot of it was you know got Madame Blavatsky or whatever like like all these you know figures throughout history who were co-opted by you know the Nazis to you know further their purpose in terms of you know creating this hierarchical state of, of humanity right Obviously. right I, it's possible it's it's territory that's possible to contest and we shouldn't cede it to the right exactly I think that yeah that's that was the sort of the point we tried to make it there is nothing inherently reactionary about spirituality and romanticism or anything else and we shouldn't just give things that speak to people deeply at a libidinal level over to the right 
because the right is way more than willing to use anything they can, we should be as well. You yeah, know? and taking that in a, in, a, in a positive way, like you can you can be absolutely pessimistic about the chances of survival and the life that we're in and the world that we're in, um, but finding the one little aspect of it or, or the one big aspect of it that gives you a sense of purpose or a sense of identity or reality, and you're you know because we're all gonna fucking die, you know, like yes. that is <laughs> that is ultimately Incorrect. what we kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind no, of. I'm sorry. That was. Not, I, I would love to hear yes your out there. After yes, I, I want to hear. Well, what? I'm uploading my brain to a computer. You oh, guys. I mean, I was a transhumanist, but that that future is not for me. That's for some guy in a vault with a robot guard and yeah. <laughs> the storage of food. And even the and even the robot guard can be corrupted to yeah. help to, to help take over New Vegas. Trust me. And give you the keys. I love cyberpunk. Yeah, give you the keys but, to uh, enter the guy's vault and kind of shut off his. I'm uh, sorry, sup- Natasha. You, you, you were diving deep into some lore that I'm not <laughs> not up on. It's called, it, Jeremy it's, will do that. It's 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 called Fallout New Vegas, folks. It's a uh, okay. it's a good game. Gotcha. Is, is long- After the revolution, we're unplugging all those computers, though. So like, <laughs> yes. Oh, so into that. I'm Thank okay you. with that. I'm completely okay with that. Uh, good yeah. luck. Even uh, even um, even the uh, even the IND government needed uh, CyberSend for a little at least a little while until although. Uh, they only uh, they only had one ter- they only had one one mainframe and a bunch of terminals and even then they they helped at some point they were using it to try to defeat a strike mm. a trucker strike in fact mm. yeah no fuck technology after the the crash I'm I'm happy to be digging in the radiated soil. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah Although exactly. that, that actually that does bring me to one other part that, uh, that I did want to bring up because of both listening to um, the episodes you guys did on Gothic Marxism, but also rec- very recently there was a late February episode of the Antifada where they interviewed Kim Stanley Robinson, a guy who does a lot of what you'd call, if not full on utopian, at least optimistic science fiction. And yeah, I'll- yeah, sort of uh, Marxist futurist, Marxist futurism. Kind of thing, mm-hmm. but I think the kicker. I don't know if I would nest. Although then again, the, I think the only the only book of of his I've read all the way through. I think it was Aurora, but um, which is actually is is a pretty good book because that's about a generation ship. It's crewed by an entire um, an entire you know the entire crew is like they you know they were born there. They're on their way to another star system, and you know they will probably die before they get there. And the the point of the book is that you know. Hey, wait a minute. Um, if you were, you know, as opposed to the people who who launched in the ship, um, if you're born there, the ship doesn't become kind of like a lifeline to humanity. The ship becomes a prison. And what happens when the people on board the ship say, "Fuck that! No, we're not. We're not. We're not doing that," and decide to turn and try to turn things around, literally in their case. But the, the what I want to bring up, like utopian uh, science fiction, especially because with Kim Stanley, Kim, Kim Stanley Robinson, he had both. Um, when he was at school, he had both Frederick Jameson, but also Ursula K. Le Guin, you know, uh, the late as his uh, as both of his teachers and. Ursula Gwynn was very much part of the early 70s, kind of the, um, I think got involved, I think she actually was reading like a lot of like Murray Bookchin and a lot of like the, the lib social writers from back then who had kind of taken the, uh, had kind of, uh, done the, I don't know, almost like borderline anarcho-primitivist you know, spin away from um, when you know when a bunch of, uh, a bunch of leftists got, kind of got depressed because the revolution never came. Well, I, I think, um, just as a broad point to that, uh, I, I think there has to be a dialectic 
between to 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 be perfectly Marxist about this. I think there has to be a dialectic be, be, between a, uh, a, a a romanticism that turns that looks backward and inward and um, um, whatever the opposite of that is that looks forward and outward. Uh, and you know uh, there has to be the ability to be uh, dark and pessimistic, and there has to be a, the ability to be bright and optimistic. Um, the point uh, is more broadly to say that we have to loose the human imagination to right. be free to dream and think and imagine and uh, uh, just pursue itself for its own sake. Um, and that is necessarily going to include people dreaming up bright, cheery, wonderful futures of what, the way the world could and should be. It's also going to loose the part of the imagination that is capable of conjuring up the worst dread that we can possibly uh, find within ourselves in whatever dark recesses of the corners of our souls could you know, uh, produce. And we've got to embrace all of it. I would just say that, that, that dichotomy is important. Like, we, there's joking about solar punk you know like this whole like yeah we need a bright cheery vision of the future and it's like everybody that's actually doing writing right now that's from a leftist perspective at least from like the, the women that i know are all like no you know you really you can't ignore the reality of our situation it's a progressive thing it's not a per, like a progress towards a better future it's a progress towards a future where we have to still deal with these issues so let's write about it in a realistic and you know, non-performative way, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's my take on it. Well, and I think, like, I have lots of very gloomy thoughts, and I also, like, love cute stuff. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you need a balance out and with I, kittens. And that's that dialectic you're yeah. talking about, like, yeah. like within my own person. is like, is like, I do need, like, kitty cats, and, like, I need, I need this turtle and this boxer to be friends. Yeah. You know. Uh, <laughs> Which one of you uh, guys has opiate of the masses on you? <laughs> Uh, that's yeah. That's I've you. That's Kevin. That's you. Yeah. Okay. I was like, oh, can I can I see that later? Yeah, I I need that shit, and I, I I am not ashamed of it, and because I do think a ton of dark thoughts, and I and I fucking bum people out. So so. I'm like, not friend I, of the party. I too, need, don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and I think I'm in safe company. That's why I said that. <laughs> yeah. But no, that, no let's uh, smoke them if you got them. I need to smoke them if I have them. Uh, okay. Sorry. And we need more beers. Smoke, dude. All good. But in terms of long arc of history going up, um, returning to our pre-rake topic, unless anybody wants to wallow <laughs> in the mire that is no. student debt peonage. Um, I'm always m wallowing in some mire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's kind of my aesthetic. Yeah. Same. <laughs> well, does Texas, does, does, well, I mean, Austin has both green and rivers, but does it have, does, does Texas have bogs? Or at least does Central Texas have bogs? Not that, Central Texas. Not so. It's more of a Houston thing, isn't it? Or Gulf Coast? Te Texas has, like, virtually every Everything. geography. Most that ecosystems, the yeah. yeah. It's sort of like Oregon, like that. And like, you can, it's a little soft on mountains, but they're still there. <laughs> There's a the mountain range. Um, I like that phrasing. That's good. <laughs> There, there is a mountain range that is uh, on, you know, near El Paso, yeah. right? Runs up from Big Bend all the way to. That I mean, right. it's not like the Pacific Northwest. No, I but... mean when you when you when you see Mount Hood up 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 here, you're like, oh shit, the Franklin Mountains where I grew up uh, are not much. Like like they're, they're not really. Mountains. You guys don't know what mountains are. I grew up at the foot of the Cascades, looking out at the Olympics every day. So yeah, yeah. sorry guys. These are real mountains. These are real here. mountains. Are those are those bigger than the Rockies? 
Not exactly, but when they're up close and personal, they feel like it. Yeah, <laughs> the Rockies don't have the right the attitude. Rockies, I, I go to Colorado all the time, and uh, those are some fucking mountains, man. They are. You got that right. But yeah, yeah. you're listening to Mountain Talk. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It's it. Um, That's my new podcast. I'm gonna move to the mountains. <laughs> hey, I I uh, studied um, uh, environmental philosophy, which uh, nice. a, a foundational text. Of that is thinking like a mountain, and it's all about mountain talk. Fun. I like that. Yeah. My favorite mountains that I've ever seen, the Alps. Okay. You got to see the Alps. That's awesome. Yeah, I went to Austria a couple of years ago. It's pretty awesome. great. The fun thing about Portland is that you can, we have access to pretty much every ecosystem or landscape you could want within what ninety minutes of the city. An hour to drive, an hour or two in each direction. Uh, and no energy to do it unless your family comes to visit. <laughs> yeah, that's it's, true. It's, hey, the, you know that's that's the one factoid is it's like going to see it's like living in New York City and going to see the uh, like the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> yeah. You never do that unless it's like a, it's a tour. I forgot thing. I was there. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's well, that's that's the joke of um, of. Uh, was it Zoidberg? Is like you know you live here all your life and you never can see. It. I can't do a Zoidberg voice, but um, <laughs> it's hard to do Zoidberg. It's okay, Jeremy. But it's, yeah. but no, that, but you know because Oregon is weird enough that Oregon has desert. I mean, Oregon was where Frank Herbert was was covering as a reporter was recovering desert rec- reclamation efforts in in southeastern Oregon uh, when he got the idea for Dune. And it just, just hmm. you know, and that's today's odd Oregon fact. I like nice. that. By the way, did we move on to the next topic? And, no, the next topic is. Uh, <laughs> no, I, no, next... I think I prevented us from moving on. Yeah, I don't know that you should take. That's the, the whole point for. of the, the whole point of this podcast is to come up with a topic and then completely avoid it. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what's going on here. But, yeah, uh, but it's but getting back to solar punk. But I think also, which I think we at some point we should define <laughs> for the audience because at some point I had I see I kept thinking solar punk had something to do with solar babies because I grew up in the eighties. <laughs> But um, but all, but in, in solar punk and its more cheerier uh, progeny, hope punk, which probably or which I think it might be a homestruck yeah, thing. We are definitely the opposite of hope, hope punk. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yes, I, I I hate that. <laughs> Same. There's a you know there's a great there's a great jag of um of an episode of no cartridge, it's uh. Where uh, live, no car, no cartridge live, where the guest was Scott Benson of Night in the Woods fame. Where one point at Bombs Fall, yeah, yeah. At one point, um, they start talking about they somehow get on the topic of Hope Punk, and he goes off for like twenty minutes of like an, you know just the idea that there's an entire like genre of entertainment that has you know that has the word hope in it, <laughs> that, like you know that, that includes the um, it's like it's almost as bad as like mope rock, yeah. And, like, like you know it's kind of like you know the intent. The uh, the required emotion that it's supposed to that this art form is supposed to make you feel is included in its own title. Right. <laughs> Anyways, but can Doesn't we hide the ball on anything? But yeah, we're talking. Don't, don't show up if you're not here to mope. Yeah. <laughs> That's a weird thing. Yeah, I mean, they weren't in the '80s. They weren't called goths. They were death rockers. And even like like Joy Division, Joy Division and The Cure were kind of were in court were kind of mixed into the whole goth mm-hmm. thing. For well, at a least while. shoegaze just like it gives you like a a, a positional <laughs> like stance yeah. Yeah. instruction, but then it leaves the internal state to you. You know. Yeah. <laughs> 
And well, it was, if you, and if you look behind you, you can see. You, you can, can think see. about whatever you want while you look at your shoes. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah, you and if you look behind you, you can see my pedal board is right over there, and I have about. Uh, I started buying guitar pedals again, and um, <laughs> I have um, used pedals at less than hundred dollars. Turn and do a lot of shoegazy shit real quick. Anyway, uh, yeah. solar punk. So um, what the hell? Why would we be talking about solar punk at the end for like a hopeful? It is sort of the dialectical opposite of um, of Gothic Marxism, I think. Okay. Yeah, you guys actually had a really good point in terms of covering the differences between sci-fi and, per se, and uh, romanticism or Gothic romance, which I cover a lot of Gothic romance in my podcast. But um, the, ho- the whole idea of the, this, the present state of things, the weirdness and the abstractness that comes from the past dealing with that, like a state of being, being fixed in a time and place versus sci-fi where you're actually looking outwards towards the future or whatever. Although all mm-hmm. the stuff that I consume sci-fi-wise, um, you had brought up KSR. Um, what's his name? Kim Stanley Robinson. Yeah, and he's like a great writer. Like I haven't actually read a lot of his work, but I did realize that I actually read Red Mars. And so that's the beginning of... He was a hard sci-fi writer. So hard sci-fi was an interesting thing for me growing up because I always got the impression that it was very... It, it didn't give me any sense of, like, an emotional connection to the work because it was all about, like, this is the reality of our situation. This is where we're going to go in space and we're going to build these things and we're going to do these things. And it's great, but from a, a point of view in terms of telling stories that are human and relatable, it wasn't something that I really gravitated towards. And, yeah. Oh, uh, just to just to get an echo on that, yeah, one of, um, in terms of hard sci-fi, uh, one of the creators... You could kind of call him a creator, but Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah. <laughs> and if, um, in, and especially with stuff like Rendezvous with Rama. And, um, I think the best description of hard sci-fi and especially some of like Arthur C. Clarke stuff was it is effectively, he is, it is a, it's an engineering blueprint rendered in tech, in prose. Yeah. And I, I mean, I grew up with that because I thought that was going to be the, like the, that, that was how you thought that you were supposed to write within that genre. And then I go back and I'm actually rereading like Dragon Riders of Pern by Anne McCaffrey which is technically sci-fi because it's set in space in this forward future but there's time travel and dragons and there's human relationships and these like enclaves and these like weird planets and it's like okay you know like the, I, I, I kind of feel like w- when there was that whole movement within like the, sec- the 60s and 70s with Clark and like the whole idea that you strip down science to it's like what it's what, what it's able to create and progress into versus are you actually telling a story about how humans actually interact and deal with things because that's not happening in this like people are people and they have fundamental needs like love and family and weird shit you know and i think that uh, in to bring it back to earlier currents I think that also ties into um, being a very much a creature of his time that ties into the dictates that Gene Roddenberry put on Star Trek. And I think uh, Gene Roddenberry himself, a very odd, complicated person, but definitely part of the kind of the mid 60s thing of like, oh, well, you know, in, you know, in the future, we, you know, it's like we all know that uh, that religion is on its way out. And because, you know, polite societies that really talk, you know, in the 60s, they, you know, uh, more progressive folks didn't talk to it enough and started going more towards like the Billy Graham types. And, um, you know, in this and are optimistic because you really do, you know, you know, uh, um, and Mark's fucked up when he when he when he didn't want to talk about the stuff. You really do need to offer you need to offer you need um, goals are best achieved by visualization. 
or you need the visualization of a goal to strive to. You have to give people an idea of what it's supposed to look like. And um, at least Roddenberry helped give that. Here's what I propose. You can't stay on the Enterprise, but I have arranged for us to rendezvous with the USS Charleston bound for Earth. They will deliver you there. Then what will happen to us? There's no trace of my money. My office is gone. What will I do? How will I live? This is the 24th century. Material needs no longer exist. Then what's the challenge? The challenge, Mr. Offenhouse, is to improve yourself. To enrich yourself. Enjoy it. Even though he kind of... His idea was that, especially for next generation, uh, was that yeah, the you know, he, like, it was almost like removing like personal strife from the the people on its crew, as if like I mean, even in a post even in a post scarcity economy, people are still going to be like assholes to each other, and you know, it just <laughs> yeah, you're still going to wake up and be fucking grumpy, yeah, yeah, and be a dick sometimes, and then people are going to get in fights, and they're going to be yeah. a, there's going to be like people feuding over romantic, you know, yeah. scorn and like you know whatever. It's, I remember. Yeah. We're still going to be people. Yeah. Uh, the first time I went to an ISO meeting a really long time ago, I got into a fight with someone, and it, it was fine. They were all they were all perfectly nice people, but 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 I said something to the effect that like, and I think it was something I, I had read. G. A. Cohen. I don't know if you're familiar with 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 Cohen. I mean, you know, sort of analytical I Marxist. Books uh, on my shelf. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love him. Uh, I, I I just read him, and 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 it. And it <laughs> You know, naively introduced me to the notion that there will still be lazy people even in a Marxist mm-hmm. future, and I tried to bring up that point, and they thought I was, yeah, you, you, Natasha, me also, <laughs> yo, yo, también, uh, uh, and I brought that up, and they thought I was doing the thing where I was saying like there were people that couldn't work because they were disabled, and they, what do we do with them? And I'm like, no, we just take care of them. It was like I'm talking about lazy people, like the free rider, you know, kind of problem. But anyway, yeah, we, uh, which is the, the, yeah, the free rider thing is it's, it's always comes up of like, but what if somebody doesn't want to work? It's like motherfucker, we got that shit now. They're called managers and CEOs. <laughs> um, the children of yes. rich people. Yeah. Uh, we have a whole indolent class of people that uh, get to make all the money and not do any work. We we've exactly. definitely got that problem. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, we, there's there's a uh, enough of a surplus. We have we are destroying the planet because we are producing too much shit. There's currently in the world more than enough shit to provide for everybody's basic needs. Yeah. We right. can deal with people like fucking off. Yeah. For most of their lives. I was lives. thinking about that it's the other fine. day that like. Like, you know, economics is, is talks about, or at least like mainstream economics talks so much about scarcity. And it's like, actually, people are pretty good with scarcity. It's abundance we can't deal with. Right. Yeah. You know, we're terrible yes. at dealing with abundance. Horrible. We, we, there was a, I watched a really great video today about, like, by E. American Johnson about automation and the fact that, yes, automation is actually important for a socialist future if you want one, because then we don't have to work, but we can still provide for ourselves. Yeah. And it's totally, and it, it, you know, if you have that framing without capitalism where it's replacing people where they can't actually make money to survive, you know, that's a completely different way of looking at it versus this is a future where we actually can you know provide for ourselves in a meaningful way without having extreme labor on anybody's part you know like people aren't looking at it the right way because the again the framing is so divorced from our reality 
that it's hard for people to cognize that. And you have to explain it to them in those terms and go, hey, you know, how would you like to spend time with your family? How would you like to actually have time to do the things that you actually love to do and not worry about is it going to be productive for me or not, you know? Yeah, yeah. Is, it, is it going to be a return on investment? We could, yeah. uh, uh, we could make podcasts. I know. We could make music. We could make art. We could make uh, whatever it is, whatever yeah. creative thing that you want to make with your time. And also, I mean, we're, we're just like um, you know, uh, we're still going to be people, and we're still going to like fight over things and be grumpy yeah. and whatever. We're also going to have passions. We're going to like desire respect from our peers and we're going to want to impress each other and we're going to want to do things that are, like other people think is cool you know yeah. so like we're there are still, still going to be things that drive us there will have more Make we will all have, have more sex us. under socialism speak for yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey uh we're we're uh we're doing something peripherally related to that in our next episode oh you are yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. Uh, we're. I'm. I'm still reading. I have not finished yet. The. Uh, uh, why? What is it? Why did women? Why have, women had? Why women had, had better, better sex under, under socialism? Yeah. yeah. Can I? Can, can I, I have that book? Uh, yeah. He yeah. he sent it to me as an ebook. So. Yes. We're uh, we're reading that, and then there's a couple of other things in there about, like Alexander Kolontai and, uh, uh, Nadezhda Krovskaya, and. Uh, you know, women's liberation in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about all about uh, the advances that were made towards equality, even under the Stalinist regimes. Mm-hmm. You know, and how, you know, we could do so much better even than that if we, we just had the right... The right circumstances. Yes. Uh, a, a related book I would recommend is, I think it's called The Womanly Face of War. Mm-hmm. which is all about the women who enlisted in the Red Army in the Great Patriotic War and like oh yeah pouring stories of like, like I said like um for all the problems of like extremely patriarchal patriarchal stalinist you know stalinist Russia and Soviet Union they um they uh, they wa- they walked the talk uh you know you had I mean you had entirely you know they didn't have too many women officers, but you had entire like women, you know, women staffed air wings of the Red Army Air Force. I mean, yeah, they gave them shitty equipment, but they were known well enough. You know, the the Noctexen were known well enough to have their own like special name that the uh, that the Wehrmacht gave them because they were terrified. They were terrified of them. You know, there's a Noctexen role playing game. Really good. Yeah. Nice. That sounds we'll, awesome. We'll put yeah. it in the show notes, um, I guess. So, I don't know. Yes, please. I let's, really want to play also, it. So, I, I know. Let's, I was about to say, let's, let's set up a game. Let's do a podcast. Where we're, it, and it's one of those, you know the, 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 the role-playing game called Fiasco? Yeah. The, it's, it's that it's that publishing company, so it's one of those ones that like you can get going quickly rather than like, Okay, it's, it's yeah. designed yeah. to be just like jump into it, go. Me and Garrett played Fiasco quite a bit. So yeah. you don't have to like spend an entire like yeah. eight-hour session just like rolling out your character yeah, or whatever. No. But anyway... I didn't mean to take. Oh it. come on, man! Really? <laughs> I love rolling character. I play D and D like almost twice a week, typically. So you know, like <laughs> yeah, you can you can roll out a character in like ten minutes. Well, yeah, sure. And with Pathfinder, mm, you have to have somebody to help. I think if you don't actually know how to play the the last just, campaign just use that the, I, there's a you can use the they have. Uh, things that will help you online. Yeah, so, I've yeah, got all the yeah, answers. For sure. Yeah, no, I, I know that stuff exists. The last campaign I played was with my neighbor who 
insisted that we play Advanced Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. version two oh my with God. his own house rules. Oh Whoa. shit! So like, Homebrew. there was no website to like aid you, you know, walk you through you it or whatever. It was straight like, up rolled. Yeah. You have to sit down with him and like go through all of his particular rules about everything and craft all the backstory and and all this different stuff. And then the next time you get together, and then you can like that's start a curated your experience, though. Yeah, it was. That's but pretty it, cool. It was. You know, yeah. too Makes much. It, it was like, man, just yeah. just let the just just pull a, a story off of the internet. And yeah, let's go. That's, that's grog yeah. fucking art. It, but um, I wonder what we're, should we actually define what solar punk is? I, I've never heard I'm of it, it and I've never heard of hope okay, punk either. Um, okay, solar punk, and I for year, uh, well for years because it hasn't really existed. Well, for a couple of years, I had no, I you'd see the term and I didn't really understand. Is it like it steampunk, but for? Yes. Yeah. Oh, That's what shit. it means. It's, it's because steampunk. It's, it's steampunk. Oh, it's steampunk, but with solar technology. Yeah. <laughs> that is the dumbest thing yeah, I've ever heard in my life. And I am against it. Can and we kill like, it with fire? I, I live in Texas, and so I hate the sun. Yeah. <laughs> I live in the Arizona. The sun is trying years. to murder me. Yeah. I fled Texas. I was Pacific Northwest. Yeah. So to seeking cloud cover. Smart. Yeah. Uh, Austin, Austin, and Seattle were going to were my number two. Uh, my number two cities, except uh, when I was going to le- get the hell out of Ann Arbor, except uh, Seattle was too expensive, too sprawly, and too mountainous. And ra- uh, you know, trying to drive up a, a hill or park on the side of a hill when it's raining, and you know, put you put the try it when it's snowing. Yeah, that too. And Austin, when I visited there in late August of '02, was like it was still like 80 degrees at 10 o'clock at night, which I guess technically actually that that has happened in Portland too. Um, but it was just the humidity and the fact that it was like flat and sprawly and surrounded by Texas. Yeah. So uh, Portland it was, and out here I came. But uh, yeah, that's that sun. Oh, that sun will get you. Yeah, if it's steampunk with the sun, I you know um, I have a huge problem with it already. I I I absolutely hate steampunk. I've, I'm I'm on the record like for a three hour podcast about this. <laughs> I, I I think I, yeah. All right. One thing I want to talk about because this is still ostensibly a crossover pod, and this because this is something I've been thinking about for Christ since at least since I joined DSA. Actually, before that, of um, the the utility of podcasts as a medium for agitation and education mm-hmm. is like because it's kind of a thing where you can ha- you can you can do shit with this medium that you can't do. Um, you can't do as easily with a YouTube video, although <laughs> every podcast that is made needs to be uploaded on YouTube because YouTube is on every screen on the planet. It is now it is now the it is now a bigger search engine than Google proper. Wow. And um, huh. no kidding. Yeah, no, it's I you, did not know. It's that. Chris, get on it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the thing is like I mean, if you we um this show For has sure. a, this show is a very like badly maintained YouTube page, but again, remember every tel- every TV for how many years has had YouTube YouTube built into it. Every phone in your pocket, even if it's not that even if it's not that smart a phone has YouTube in it. Um but if we could talk about um because like I said, it's kind of, and it's because well, I've been, I've actually been kind of like murmuring about start trying to get other people interested in starting like, there are many DSA chapters who have their own like chapter podcasts. And like our chapter alone has at least six, perhaps seven podcasts uh, that are ongoing that are made by, that are actively ongoing made by members just out of like Portland alone. Um, can we talk about... Just, um, I guess the benefits of actually having one are like how, 
you know, I guess the topic is because I'm, I'm horrible at forming topics is, you know, talk about the idea of just the usefulness of you know, of lefty podcasting as a uh, again as like agitprop. Garrett, uh, I raised my hand just because I did have a, a brief thought about this, and, and I mean a very brief thought the other day, and it's that I do think that you know we can sort of poo poo the notion that anyone can start a podcast, but I actually do think that the proliferation of voices. Whatever those voices are, you know what I mean, um, will we'll pull people in that, let's say, other voices wouldn't be able to pull in. So so I, I do think that the, that the podcast is an interesting, uh, at least uh, a medium to, and perhaps, you know, honestly, maybe the best medium until they start clamping down on it uh, uh, to, to get lots of people involved in new ways of thinking about things. And that is my brief statement. I, I think it's a continuation of the, the the kind of democratizing technology that you see beginning with the appearance of the printing press, mm-hmm. where uh, there, but prior to that, there was largely illiterate public, and the ideas were passed down uh, either orally or uh, through. Um, you know, monks in a, in a monastery transcribing things, manuscripts that, uh, that were handed down from you know over generations, but were control tightly controlled by uh, uh, a singular authority. Um, and that's where all education stayed. The printing press was this radic. This it was a revolutionary technology that made it so that. Um, you know anybody who could get themselves in a position to uh, put a, a bunch of letters in a row on a printing press could stamp it out a bunch of times over mm-hmm. and then spread those ideas outward into the world. And it was a revolutionary technology. It gave, I think, was uh, a, a uh, was a um, uh, the uh, technological basis of much of the uh, Enlightenment and whatever revolutions that oh without a doubt yeah yeah and i think the internet was very similar is a very similar sort of revolutionary piece of technology it's not inherently going to be progressive in everything that uh gets put out on it but i think podcasts are just like it's a function of the internet i don't i don't necessarily think that this is a um a new uh uh mode of technology that's um uh, radically changing how everything's done, but as as a function of this this incredibly democratizing technology that is the internet, uh, the ability of people to record themselves in some fashion, either writing it down on a keyboard or recording themselves into a microphone, and then putting that out on the internet, and then having other people being able to receive what it is that people are putting out on the internet. That is an incredibly democratizing piece of uh, technology. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think that's what podcasts. Uh, functionally serve as personally in my you know in my experience with podcasting it's been useful for forcing me to sit uh, it's I mean honestly the regrettable century has been a lot like recording a reading group Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, so it's like this thing that uh, we we like decide on a topic we do some we pick out some readings we do some readings we get together and we discuss it, and it forces me to like think through things and like uh, put my ideas down and uh, try to formulate something that would be like a compelling point to make about yeah. the, whatever given topic that we're talking about. And we, you know, select topics based on what we think would be a compelling, uh, interesting. 
subject. It's like uh, studying versus just reading. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, like. Yeah. Go ahead. Really, though, like I think that this is, as far as its uh, efficacy as agitprop is concerned, I, I think that there are certain um, political podcasts that are definitely good for that sort of purpose, but I think that the the ones that pro, pro, uh, proliferate are generally just people kind of hanging out and talking and uh those are good for just entertainment and self-care so i don't know i think that they've they've all like I, if you listen to us we're, we're not you know agitprop we're we're not like <laughs> trying to to motivate people to get out there and do something so much as we are just trying to like think out loud at everyone and trying to work out our ideas at everyone so yeah, I, I think it can be an effective medium for that for that sort of thing. But I also think that there's just there's just so much stuff out there that it might be hard for people to actually find the things that are effective. Mm -hmm. No, I think you guys have it just right because I think that what you you're saying about just people talking about stuff in a normal way, or just kind of going through things as you would when you're just discovering something and trying to articulate what you feel about it or what you're thinking about it is actually the most accessible point of information for a lot of people. So like my audience specifically is women and younger women too. And we don't necessarily do anything that's like overtly towards like, you know, join DSA, but we are very socialist leftist feminist in our commentary on things, normalizing the commentary that hasn't been exposed through media in any way. And just saying, no, this is the way that you see the world. This is how I see the world. This is how you should see the world. And also, you know, making it accessible because a lot of people get very, very turned off by theory. Mm -hmm. And you, in order for people to understand it and to try to normalize it, because, they, again, they don't have the time or the effort to be able to go into books or to go into deep history and philosophy and, like, just, again, normalizing it to a point where you feel like that's a natural progression of, like, my understanding of the world that is how you actually gain an audience and also gain sympathy and 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 too like one of the wonderful things that you know i've seen jeremy do is like incorporate other people like have a sense of community like if somebody is responding to you and what you're saying you ask them to be a part of your 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 show or your your your, your show quote unquote it's mostly like yeah you want to come and record with me like let's just talk like two human beings about something that we love and mm -hmm try to do it and that that in itself is entertaining for a lot of people because they are mostly looking for somebody else to articulate what they're already feeling or thinking they just haven't yeah. been able to put it down into words yet so that's how i feel like it's a good sense of again praxis it sounds weird to say that like because i don't go outside of my basement but um <laughs> i've been able to create a community of women that are all leftists and all really hardcore about shit like and and kind of like and call out stuff immediately in a good and positive way and just be like okay we have a community now we're building it but we're building it by just normalizing the way that we talk about things or the way we view things so yeah i think that i really do think for a lot of people that get into podcasts the initial thing that they get into is they're like i want to hang out with these people yeah whatever it is that they're fucking talking about you know like like for me it was comedy early on and yep. uh and uh 
I will say, going back to the atheist thing, uh, scientific skepticism was a big part of my early podcast. Shit, I listened to, li- I listened uh, to Sam Harris, and I feel so bad about to, it. Hey, it's, it's the okay. one I loved was the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Oh, yeah, I, I loved that podcast, and it was the it was one of the first five podcasts I started listening to, and I don't listen to it anymore. But but it was like I like these people, and I like what they're talking about, and I like. Uh, uh, I, I wish I could be part of it, you know, and I am part of it by listening to it. And I think that's, I think that's actually really important. Uh, and the, and a cool thing about podcasting. If I can get my, yeah, that's the, um, my take on it is like, th- this is a form, an extenuation of previous forms, but it's a deliberate mix of, <sighs> I, I can't think of a pithy way to say this, but it is a mix of, it is, it is blogs and zines and college radio and punk rock and CB radio. And, um, yeah, it is, it is, but yeah, that's, that's the whole thing is it's a mix of like, yeah, CB radio and zines and like, I don't know, live journal or something. <laughs> and you don't yeah. have to be an expert. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, uh, Gramsci's notion of a organic intellectual was one that, that, uh, it, 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 was like working people involved in the sh- in their daily life and their daily struggles, thinking through things and engaging with I- higher ideas. Maybe that's what the sort of the milieu of podcasting I is. It's just people like getting together across this electronic medium, and it's uh, not that far off. Yeah, I think it's completely appropriate. Like working through ideas and just mm-hmm. being sort of organic intellectuals of sorts. Yeah, and I think part of it, part of what what helps with the intimacy and. Um, Former Portland radio host Rick Emerson has talked about this before about how radio, in particular, like um, and you know, form, kind of post radio forms like you know what this is, has a has an intimacy far far beyond anything textual or even like you know like visual because. Um, podcasts, radio and podcasts are literally people. Well, I mean, yeah, other people's voices that are literally in your head. Mm-hmm. Like you are, they are with you know. There is the word parasocial is getting thrown around a lot more, but there really is an aspect that is podcast can really be a uh, and I guess also you know any sort of regular media, regular like non non narrative non fictional media of almost like a uh, the joke is the oh yeah podcasts are professional friend simulators. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just always think of that one meme where it's the guy sitting eating ice cream with like the three people on an advertisement, <laughs> like yeah, listening to podcasts. <laughs> like. Yeah, I mean, that's how I kind of feel, honestly. Like even listening to you guys, I was like, I wonder what they look like. I wonder what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and now you know. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen your tattoo yet, though. So <laughs> no, you only no, know the, like, about the... three of us, though. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you. Uh... We're missing one. Yeah. Okay, um, there are time for the the fun, the closest thing to a regular segment we have on the show, ladies and gentlemen. Time for recommendations and endorsements. If you have anything you've been digging on that you think needs to be uh, signal boosted to our uh, our our sheer dozens of listeners and whatnot, please offer it up to uh, as a suggestion. 
Uh, who, who would like to go first? We should start with Chris, unless you feel on the spot. Oh, hey, Chris, do you have anything you would like to share, anything you've been digging on lately that you think more people should know about? The only thing that I can really think of are books that I've been reading that and uh, music that I've been listening to. So I Both, guess yes. that's good a good, good thing as any. But I've been re- recently listening to a lot the album by Panopticon that came out last year, which is The Scars of Man on the Once Nameless Wilderness, part one. And oh, it's yeah. j- atmospheric black metal. Mm-hmm. And which is pretty much one of the only things I actually listen to anymore. But yeah, so I, I really like that. It's like very sweeping, like soaring melodies. It's uh, actually very relaxing and kind of calm, even though it's black metal. Nice. If you're familiar with the atmospheric genre, you know, you'll get what I'm talking about. And I've just, I'm totally just super in awe of Salvage Quarterly, and I think everyone should subscribe. Definitely. And I've been reading that today, and uh, I couldn't recommend it more highly. Excellent. That's a magazine, right? Yeah, it is. It's uh, yeah. out of um, England. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, okay, it's, a, it's a project by a bunch of people that Kate. came out of our tradition, but in the English, our former tradition, mine, Kevin's, and Jason's, and Jenny's. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of people out, that came out of the, the Socialist Workers' Party in England, such as China Mieville and uh, Richard Seymour. Oh, cool. And, um, yeah, they, they publish really good stuff, and they sort of have this whole revolutionary pessimist bent going as well yeah they're a major inspiration uh for absolutely perspective awesome excellent thank you kevin um a lot of what i listen to i wouldn't recommend other people listen to fair Uh, enough so i'm not gonna recommend that bunch of nazi oi probably that's what i was thinking like (laughs) is it hitler speeches or something uh yeah just yeah just nothing but like all of like death in june's you know those you know those weird david allen co records you got from the back of hustler (laughs) i would recommend those Uh, I think the best movie of all time, um, Big Trouble in Little China, still to this day, is the 2013 remake of Evil Dead. Uh, This doesn't what? This doesn't have. I've never seen it. I'm just. I'm astounded that you just said that. This doesn't have a political bent to it at all. Okay, uh, that's fine. Uh, It, but it's um. Uh, I, I mean, I could fill an entire podcast on just talking about this movie. Can I be on that podcast? But uh, so I don't know how far into depth to go about it. I highly recommend it. People should watch it. Anybody who's a fan of the originals mm-hmm. uh, should go to hell. Is that pro- what you're saying? Uh, well, well pro- a lot, a lot of the fandom really hated the remake. It it uh, got rid of Ash and it like. Uh, didn't follow into in the trajectory of like Evil Dead Two, and then uh, you know it was supposed to be an alternate reality version, and they were going to merge, but then that sort of all fell through. It yeah. was it was it it was the first Evil Dead. If Sam Raimi had a bunch of money and movie making expertise, gotcha. 
and, fr- and friends who were trying to kick heroin at the time. But the entire fandom of Evil Dead was, um, you know, built off of Evil Dead Two, uh, right? And so, like, Evil it, Dead wasn't a thing really yeah, until Evil Dead Army, Two, an Army of Darkness, really, yeah. which made it like this, like super kooky. Which is a, a I, I, you know, like, I love it. I grew up on Evil Dead Two and Army of Darkness and Evil Dead One, but. Uh, you know, I, I loved the the really comic booky, you know, goofy Ash and the Evil Dead or whatever the Deadites. Hey, I saw your soul. I saw your soul. I saw your soul. <laughs> Swallow this. I love all that kind of stuff, but it <laughs> threw all that stuff out the window and went back to Evil Dead One and made what yeah. that movie really was trying. Yeah, to make be. horror yeah. like yeah. like a real horror film, and yeah, it yeah. told a. Good fucking story. I, like, I really the like story the original Evil Dead. A, yeah. Stands alone, even a, a separate and apart from uh, from the the source material. It, right. it is an excellent fucking story. I have a um, I have a an autographed um, Army of Darkness poster rolled up over in the corner there, oh, nice. and an, that's pretty cool. And, uh, and an that's your gift, Kevin, to take. <laughs> and an autographed uh, Army of Darkness production still right next to my my autographed head, a, my autographed headshot of AP Mike from the best show oh, on the yeah. wall up there. Oh, okay, I see it. Yeah. Bru- uh, Bruce oh, speaking Ke- of the best show, I, I want to recommend The Sopranos. <laughs> Never and I heard want to of do it. a uh, Marxist, lumpen bourgeoisie. A Marxist. Uh, I want to do a Marxist it. podcast about the Sopranos, where we yeah, watch an episode and we talk person. about it from a Marxist point of view. That sounds so good. If anybody wants to do that with me, hit me up. <laughs> That's, that's I, I never watched the I never Sopranos. Watched Sopranos either. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. Would it help that's that I never mistake. watched the Sopranos? Because <laughs> I never it'll, did. It'll, if you've never watched The Sopranos, then you can just believe everything we say and not have to think for yourself. Oh, I so, could yes. do that, dude. If there's if there's a, if there's a steady paycheck, yeah, all I gotta do is and have like Mike Racine on there every once in a while. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, I will. I will. Do I have a recommendation? I don't know if I even have a recommendation. Oh, do Jerry. any of you guys? Uh, is everybody else gone? I want to recommend some bread tube. <laughs> we bread? Really, Did you we, say bread? Bread tube. We really need a better a better term for that because half of <laughs> half of bread tube. It's Not another name. It's left tube, but it's people are calling it bread tube, and I just think it's a funny name. Okay, I don't even know why they call it bread tube except for maybe that like we want bread and roses. Hello, darling. Yeah. But, <laughs> peace, land, and bread. Yeah. It's all, but it's also I think it's I think it's a, it's a it's an anarchist thing too. But it's like half of left tube isn't anarchist; it's Marxist. So like I don't not, know. There's a lot of anarchists on there, and I'm no, an anarchist myself. So. Uh, that's true. I, I think that, um, I think there is, but I think that just calling it all because like uh, you know, in fact, the major, it's meaning as how like the majority of hosts of this kind of content are you know never read Kropotkin, but um, well, anyway. I have never yeah, the conqu- either. The conquest of bread, right? Yeah. yeah, that's probably what it's referring to. That's, uh, that's You're right. it, it's a Reddit thing, but anyway, please, sorry to interrupt. Please go no, on. No, it's great. Like I don't know theory. I don't give a shit, but. <laughs> These things, everything. This like thing. seriously, I'm a new leftist. I'm, I'm just like, oh yay, anarchy. Okay, no, I'm an anarch. I've been an anarchist since I was like 12 years old and read, uh, what is it, The Once and Future King, where the, the oh, geese were anarchists. That, that made you an anarchist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. We seriously. need to do a whole podcast about that. The Once and Future King is was like a great. I read that book and I it book didn't about make me an anarchist. Poli- he, like he learns all of the political interfacing and then you go to the geese and the geese are anarchists and oh, they're the dude. best. So, um. Anyway. Well, I'm still unemployed. I'm going to read that book. Yeah, it's a good book. And we but, could do a Marxist romanticist take of that. Well, I, I, I'm going to save that for my podcast because that's what we specialize on. Is uh, on do it. <laughs> well, yeah, no, yeah, you can. Yeah, well, if you, we only have had one man in one okay, year. Okay, I don't have to be on it. I just, you know, I just got. Excited. You have to sell it. You have to sell yeah. it. 
Um, so mine is a guy called Cuck Philosophy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's, yeah that's... He's pretty fucking good. Okay, so like... Uh, I just watched his uh, Marxist takedown on Shrek today, which was a horrible one, but it was like from a couple of years ago or a year ago. Uh, but his my favorite was his Hellraiser and um, uh, Batai. Well, but what's his name? Batai. 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 Isn't George Batai? Yeah. B a t a i l l e. Yeah, it was so good. It, it was because he he really interfaces philosophy and theory with like modern media in a way that like makes sense. He did a fucking Adorno and the Emoji movie video recently, <laughs> which like, cracked me up so hard. Um, That's a good gimmick. So again, like this is when you're going to um, posit um, deep deeper intellectual theory and texts for an audience that might not be familiar with stuff. Make sure to make it entertaining, but also to explain, like, the, the tenets of it, right? Like, there's a lot of us yep. out here who don't e either have the time. I mean, I, I, I was a bioethics major when I first started out, so I've been in philosophy, but I was a bunch of crusty old white guys who didn't give, make any fucking sense. And, uh, you know, like, if you're going to do it, do it from a sense that you can actually teach it in a way that actually keeps people's entertaining, like, keeps people entertained, but also teaches it in a way that's accessible, even if it involves you know, children's cartoons. Like, my podcast is, like, we talked about, like, suburban anxiety and um, the fucking Land Before Time sequels. That's, like, what we do, you know? Like, <laughs> we, we, we don't give a shit, but we also talk about, like, okay, there is something here. It, you just, you, you, you access it and, and let people just explore it in ways that are, again, entertaining. Sorry, <laughs> went on no, a rant. No, it's, no, it's fine. It's we no we, we we welcome strong opinions on the show. And you got interrupted by the cat. That was the best interruption ever. You get yeah, the, the uh, you, uh, yeah no true. In order to have a true leftist podcast, you need to have uh, a cat interrupting in the background, and at least one of the hosts needs to have a minor speech impediment. Because other than that, it's not a true leftist podcast. I mean, yeah. You know, I say this as someone who is a massive. Because uh, I have to edit myself, I have a you know. You are a cat, which your audience doesn't know. I'm used to <laughs> editing myself for 20 hours, so I can have a speech and like like problem. Yeah, I, yeah, I have a, I have a, I, see, I don't know if anybody uh, is the one, probably the one person here who had to go to speech classes when he was in elementary school, but uh, yeah, I have a massive stammer. But anyway, oh sorry, uh, Garrett, uh, if you you have anything. Yeah, I have some stuff. Uh, Just give it, fling it out. Two books. One I probably recommended on the show a couple of years ago, but I reread it and I really uh, got more out of it this time. Which was uh, "Debt: The First Five Thousand Years" by David Graeber. I love that goddamn book. Um, and I am currently reading halfway through uh, um, "Caliban and the Witch." Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, so huge. Like that. That you got to listen to their podcast. <laughs> they, they have a podcast? Recently, yeah. No, they, they cover Oh, y'all's podcast. Yeah. I figured y you would have done it. Um, yeah. Uh, we, that, that book was, was mentioned. It's been very eye-opening for me, and it really uh, has been a, a, a big aid to... to <laughs> y'all hear the cat right there? Uh, no, to, no. To, to fuse uh, the, the, the feminist gaps in Marxism... Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, with Mark, you know, because you're you, you're like Marx was right, you know what I mean, but there's stuff that was mm, lacking. No, it, it com like we we covered it in, uh, in, that in, book? in in our witch episode actually. Oh, like, okay. We did a whole episode like of witch stuff, but with the witch, and um, 
we That's talk, such a good movie. Yeah, it's the, such a good the, movie. The Witch or the Vivitch? The Vitch. The VV Itch. <laughs> yeah. uh, that um, was a good movie. Pronounced Witch. But we read, we, I mean, I had read, I hadn't, like, Jeremy introduced me to that book. He actually gave me his signed by Sylvia Federici copy to actually oh, borrow. Oh, excuse and me. I had to, like, excuse me. I, I got to meet her last, uh, she came to Portland and. Oh, no big she's deal. Like, she's like, she's like, she, it's hilarious because she, she really is like your, your radical communist, radical Italian communist grandmother. And she comes up to like, like me, like my mid chest on me and it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> is she, oh, time. she's, she's not a, a tall person is what you're saying. Um. No. Anyway, I love the hell out of that book, uh, um, or I'm loving it. I'm in the middle of it, and and it uh, it, it really it's a life is, changer. Yeah, it really is like it, it is bringing this whole thing in to Marxism that I was like, man, I was lost, and I didn't even realize I was lost until I was reading this book. Uh, but now I, you are found. Well, I don't know if I'm found, Jeremy. <laughs> let's have a podcast about that. Uh, but Once you were lost. But, honey, anything else? Am I missing something? Cool things that we've been... I mean, we, like... My wife is in the next room. I'm sorry. <laughs> the audience doesn't know that. It's so uh, cute. Um, besides books that I've read, I don't know. We've just been watching West Wing. That's a well-made show. Uh, I'm not emotionally involved in it, but it is a well-made show. That is all. Someone say dangerously well-made. Um I'll go. Uh, t- jumping off of that tip, if um, there's a documentary out there, a new documentary film, half documentary, half polemic, done by Astra Taylor, who most of you might know, who did a film uh, 10 years ago called Examine Life. She also was the filmmaker uh, who who uh, helped bring... Um, good old, uh, good old Slavov to, uh, uh, American prominence. She was the one who, I think, did the first, like, Zizek exclamation point film. No, that's her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, also, she's married to Jeff Magnum, and, um, she was part of the, uh, she would play <laughs> on the. Name. Yeah, heir the, to the condom fortune. Wait, who's <laughs> Jeff Magnum? I don't know who that uh, is. Uh, Neutral Milk Hotel. She's, oh, she's, okay. she's, oh. she jammed out with, uh, the. Uh, I still don't know what you're, um, <laughs> uh, um 90s 90s no, uh, I know, I know. kids know who this one she in fact she pl- she joined uh, the the uh, when neutral milk hotel was playing reunion date she actually joined them on stage to play um she has a new documentary out called what is democracy and it is very much about radical democracy starting from um a lot there's a lot of like plato uh, going on but she expands it to not just Political democracy, but economic democracy. So she uh, she travels all over. In fact, the film is bookended by her in a not necessarily a temple, but certainly like a city hall like room in Italy, um, talking over a mural that was commissioned in the 14th century by the newly you know the very beginning. Uh, merchant class in pr- almost pre-Renaissance Italy. She's there examining this mural with Silvio Federici. The film begins and ends with them, and in fact, occasionally cuts back to their conversation, talking about what happened when you had this new, this new dominant class show up that was not part of the church, wasn't part of the aristocracy, wasn't part of the nobility, but they were, you know, they were mer- they they got power and they were merchants. Um, so yeah, if you have. It's showing up film festivals, but if uh, if you have a can capital uh, a K you know capital K a canopy account, 
most county library systems in the nation, if you have like a, a library card through there, you, uh, you can use that to get a, a Canopy account. Canopy is a streaming movie service that has, uh, that at some point is better than both Filmstruck and uh, anything Netflix used to be. Because they have like crazy. It's that good? It's crazy, yeah. You the, get a lot of that Criterion stuff? The Criterion stuff. It's effectively it's it's a stream it is a streaming service run by uh, librarians. Hot damn! And but yeah, Astra Taylor's uh, "What Is Democracy?" and it's kind of a thing where she goes through everything. Like she's ta- she talks to what she, could life be like under socialism? Yeah, yes. She talks to she talks to like she uh, she talks to um, like historians in Athens. She talks to recent refu- uh, asylum seekers from um, f- uh, from Syria who've just shown up, literally shown up on the boat from Syria in Athens. She talks to because um, she's in Athens. She talks to people uh, to. Uh, former Sarisa members and former, uh, like even like the former PM, the Sarisa uh, PM of Greece. Um, she uh, she spends time in North Carolina, um, in Raleigh, talking to uh, like Cornell West is in there. Uh, God, who else is that? But she 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 kind of like does like this like a couple years long of like leaping from Rick Taylor, from, maybe okay. Um, but covers like yeah, like I said, it's just about you know what is democracy. It's a great documentary. I heavily recommend it. If you like I said, if you have uh, a lot of you, if you have a library card, probably have access to Canopy. It's it's on there. It's great. Check it out. All right. Um, after the tonight's uh, very, I want to thank everyone for staying with us on a very lovely extended recording. Um, going around the room, do you have anything to plug, or how can folks reach you and your show on the internet? Uh, Chris, uh, if you would uh, please start us off. Okay, um, you can get, if you want to get in touch with any of our social media accounts, it's we're on Twitter, Facebook, and um, Instagram, all available under The Regrettable Century. And uh, on actually on Twitter, you know, the, the name that we were under is uh, is uh, Grand Radio Abyss, and uh, I am Vox Proletarii on on Twitter. Wait, isn't Vox Proletarii? No, 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 I was going to make a joke about how weren't they the aren't they the villains in the second half of Bioshock Infinite? But I won't make that joke. What are they? <laughs> it's it's. Uh, did you ever play Bioshock? No, no, I, I no, I know, I know the villains. I just don't remember what they're called. Actually, I think that the third one they're called. I think the the, the they're the Vox Populi. Yeah, Vox Populi. Yeah. Oh not, yeah, yeah. Nazis. Well, if you know what the proletariat is, and you know what Populi is, you could probably figure out what proletarii is. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's where to find us on social media. And anything to plug? I would like to plug the Regrettable Century. We've got a bunch <laughs> of episodes up, and you can go listen to all of them. And we're on Patreon at the Regrettable Century. It's two dollars, and $2. right now we have one piece of exclusive content up, and I think we'll probably have more eventually. I really need to restructure our Patreon. <laughs> anyway, oh, ne- <laughs> uh, sorry. Next, I have nothing to plug except uh, the podcast. Are you or, not on so. Twitter? Or oh, so, yeah, I was see if if, um, if if folks have any questions for. You. I exist on the internet. I don't necessarily want people to seek me out. <laughs> That's smart. Wow, man. Yeah, I mean, people can seek me out if they want, unless they want to be dicks, and then they can't. <laughs> no dick pics. 
No. You know, those are, if, if you send them, they, they're supposed to get rated. You're supposed to rate a dick pic if you see it. I'll keep that in mind next time I get one. <laughs> I mean, if you rate uh, it, I don't get probably the end of it. You yeah. know what I mean? You guys are just missing out. I'm to, sorry. And, and make up your own rating system, like like four scimitars, and they're like, I don't know what that means. Oh no, then, you know, you're, they're confused, and then haven't you seen that the exciting uh, Twitter account? We we rate dickos. You know, I twelve out of ten. This this little dicko is perky and ready to go. He <laughs> just wants to give you hugs. Okay. All right. Uh, on that note, uh, I might keep that in the final recording. <laughs> I might not. We'll have to see. Please do. That is my uh, side account. <laughs> I need to make money somehow. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Ashes for Foxes and my podcast at Meta Machina. M E T A M A S H I N A. We could not afford the C H, so we did the S H instead. <laughs> it makes it sound Russian. I like it. It is Russian. Meta Machine. Um, I mean, we rate dickos. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm telling you, somebody, uh, somebody, get on that account. I don't. Uh, I don't have a thing. I don't have an internet thing to plug. Uh, I am in a a country music group called Late Shift. You can find us at lateshiftcountry.bandcamp.com. It is old timey country music, and we're pretty good. Uh, there's a free live recording. You can get at that uh, website that I just gave out, which is lateshiftcountry.bandcamp.com. Uh, I think we're also at facebook.com slash lateshiftcountry. Uh, other than that, I don't know that I have anything to say. I'm never on, I, I haven't been on Twitter in a, a few months, so I won't push that. And uh, and uh, you can find me on, um, on uh, BitTorrent. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't even been torn to it in a long time. That social media site, yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think that's all I got. All right. Thank you. And once again, as always, because we are left this podcast, we do have a Patreon. And if you would like, somehow would like to help support us uh, putting out this fine, fine program, uh, you can find us at patreon.com slash giving the mic. Um, and we want to thank the mysterious breakfast cereal, breakfaster cereal, I can't remember if his name is breakfaster cereal or, or breakfaster cereal who did our theme song. Um, you can find us on Facebook at giving the mics, uh, at facebook.com slash giving the mic. Twitter, we are at giving the mic. Um, as always, uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes, please, uh, give us a, uh, a little rating and, you know, click the little, like, uh, five, it was actually, I'm, I'm really wondering if you do the thing where if someone gives us a five star rating, we actually read what they wrote out on air. Yeah. Just say unedited. that. Just say you're going to do that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, okay. what are they going to do? Sue you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll steal the bit. I'm going to put the best piece of erotic I can find off the internet on there. Awesome. There we go. Uh, I will, uh, if Make you, sure it's that one about the bear. Yeah. The woman and the bear that lives oh, yeah. The Canadian uh, novel? Yeah, yes, we're going to yeah. cover that eventually in our podcast. <laughs> It's yeah, it's it's yes, it's bear sex, but not the bear sex that you one that one would from the the post nineties bear. Se- anyway, uh, listen to find out. Yeah, uh, if you give us a five star review, we will read it out over the air, unedited, um, on iTunes. Um, as always, like I said, click the uh, click the subscribe button. I guess sure. I, I guess there's a subscribe button somewhere. Anyway, yeah. Um, Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This has been a hell of an evening. Yeah, it thanks always for having is. us on. Yes, thanks yeah, for thanks. the uh, regrettable century. I like, like, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, yeah, it's been good. All right, it's uh, our pleasure, absolutely. 
Uh, any final words? Um, become a communist because <laughs> we don't have any other option at this point. No. We have to end capitalism. Yeah. Socialism or barbarism, folks? Mine is. That is correct. That's a small C communist, by the way. Yeah. Are we? Okay, are we, then never uh, mind. Incorrect. Where is our commune going to be? Is my question. Is it going to be in Texas or is it going to be in the Pacific Northwest? Well, whatever's habitable well, after, at yeah, that point. Yeah, whatever's habitable. <laughs> whatever's habitable. Oh, so that's yeah. what it says on my here. bumper sticker, and that's my credo in life. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is you either have uh, drought and drought and uh, and uh, sunstroke and actually, to come to think of it, Austin is actually far more humid than you'd expect. But uh, yeah. Whereas in in Portland we have uh, we have we have uh, forest fires. Anyway, uh, good night, ladies and gentlemen, and, and all those not particularly wanting to subscribe to that particular binary. Yeah, night, and we're out. Night. Well, we did all those. We did it. Yeah. Thanks for like sticking for like the three hours. That yeah. was a long podcast, y'all. It was. Are up you going to upload all three hours of it? Yeah. Uh, no, we'll cut it down, but yeah, thanks yeah, we'll for... Yeah, we'll cut it down. Um... Sorry, second. I'm just getting weird pings. Oh, I did hear that ping. There's Estonian. Yeah, there's too. Estonians listening to this that don't know that it stands for Oregon Public Broadcast. Are the, do y'all really have like a, According a, an to Jeremy, international we, audience? There, there are like 50 yeah. Estonians that are like, dude, get on that shit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, there we go. Sorry, I was getting like an odd, like a weird, like a system alert ping and. Um, God bless Microsoft and their hor and the their horrible acquisition of Skype and probably <laughs> yeah. did that.